What's up, everybody? My name is Daniel Unmanageable, and this is Hard Knocks Talks. Tonight's live production is premier sponsored by Prairie Sky Recovery Center. Prairie Sky Recovery Center offers evidence-based inpatient addictions treatment in Lipsig, Saskatchewan. Tonight's show is also brought to you in part by the Elizabeth Fry Society of Saskatchewan, the Community Addictions Peer Support Association, Stronger Together, Canada Peer-Led Support Groups by Moms Stop the Harm, and Carter's Counseling. Tonight's guest, Chantelle Lemieux, uh, a person in recovery from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, is joining us tonight to share her story of overcoming debilitating addiction and the life that comes with it. And we are going to meet her right after this. I spent 23 years living in addiction. 16 of those years, I worked as a Red Seal tradesperson in Saskatchewan and Northern Alberta. During that time, I made many mistakes and took more than a few hard knocks. I went from tradesman to business owner to hiding from gang members and dumpster diving. But with that lived experience, I've decided to try and make a change. I've dedicated my life to raising awareness and promoting change in the fields of substance use and psychological health and safety. So join me and my guests as we take off the blinders around mental health in our communities and at work and shine a light on what's working and what's not working in the fields of mental health and occupational health and safety. I'm Daniel Unmanageable and I'll be your host and this is Hard Knocks Talks. Okay, here comes Chantel. Hey, Chantel, how are you? Hello, I'm good, and you? <laughs> I'm doing well. You know, it's been a while. Like there was a time when this first started that every at the beginning of every episode, I would complain about how challenging it was to get here tonight, and I haven't done that for a long time. But I'm going to do it again tonight. That was a wild ride, yeah. my friend. <laughs> yeah, I was nervous. I was. Um, thinking I'm going to have to go drive over to my brother and sister-in-law's place and get their laptop and connect there, which mm -hmm. they have like all their kids there right now. And I'm like thinking, <laughs> Oh my God, how is this going to work? There's five kids running around. Yeah. But and we're here. It's like, so yeah. Huh? Oh, oh we're here. Look at that. Camera. Oh yeah. Look at that. Yes, <laughs> we're here. Don't look at that. Okay. <laughs> and sit comfortably. Um, okay. Is there I'm anything in the middle? Is there anything that you'd like to say before we get started tonight? Um, I want to say thank you for um, finally getting me on the show. I know you reached out to me a long time ago, and I had that fear of um, telling my story. You know, I, I, I had that fear of being in front of a crowd and, and you know, speaking. So um, my goal this year was to overcome those fears and to get uncomfortable. And, you know, because I know my story helps a lot of people. And... Um, I know that we were able to kind of bond a little bit while our kids were doing gymnastics. So that was really cool. And mm -hmm. yeah, I just see all the good work you're doing and I'm, I'm grateful to be on the show and I'm grateful for everybody that's watching right now. I love you guys. And thank you so much for supporting me. You have no idea how much this means by you guys showing up and listening to this. So awesome. All right. Thank you. Here we go. So tell us what it was like growing up. Well, um, my family was really fucked up. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> I'm out of I here. I you guys. I honestly do. <laughs> I chose my own path to go down, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, like we were saying like before, I, um, I feel like my earliest memory of childhood was um, – I was living with my dad and my mom and we we're all family. And, um, I remember, you know, learning about family and kindergarten and everything was all good. Um, and then I ended up, um, 
you know, experiencing divorce with my family, like my dad and my mom split up, which brought on a lot of anger, you know, like I was angry. I didn't know what was going on. Um, my mom always said that I was always an angry child, you know, <laughs> growing up. So, um, and just like, you know, in kindergarten, you learn about family and it's like, well, my family's divorced now. So it's like, okay, so we have to go live in different houses and you know it was all good mom ended up remarrying and you know dad was committed to um his work and you know he built a, a family business and he works hard and he's always been there to provide for us and mom's always been there um i wouldn't say i grew up in addiction i mean dad um you might be addicted to your job but i mean <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we got to do lots of fun things, you know, like we went on like, um, trips and he always provided for us. I, we all got to play sports and, you know, we never had any worries like that. So, you know, him being at work and building this business and building this family business, um, really paid off. Right. Um, mom mom ended up going back to school and became a nurse i'm very proud of her with five kids i don't know how she did that single pretty much single mom um met her met my stepdad um so i was always the one babysitting right well mom went and studied yeah. <laughs> she's probably sitting there laughing <laughs> um yeah so and you know i was just thinking i i had an i had a good upbringing it was just my own anger and my own negativity and what I did with it. Right. You know, like I was always an angry child, always like misbehaving and me and my stepdad did not get along growing up. Um, you know, we have a good relationship now, but I was just like, I wasn't okay with him at first. You no, know, I just, you know, I, I wanted, um, my dad and my mom to be together and I, and I didn't want, um, to have a stepdad, but you know, uh, so we did, we did fight a lot. We, you know, there was a lot of conflict. I ran away a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> ran away from my mom's, went to my dad's and did that back and forth thing. You know, like when parents are divorced, it's like, I don't want to live with dad. I'm going to mom's. And then mom's like, yes, hell yeah. Come live with me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Was so, there, um, um, was there any alcoholism in the family? Um, my mom didn't drink. My stepdad barely drank. I mean, they worked a lot. Um, my grandfather was an alcoholic, um, and my grandmother uh, was a part of Al-Anon. So um, she was huge into the 12-step program in Al-Anon. So, um, but yeah, not really. I mean, like, dad drinks socially, but... I never seen any addiction growing up. No, like I, you know, like they, they were parents. They didn't, you know, disappear and go get on one for a night and then come back. Uh, like it was never like that. How was so, school? If anything, yeah, I was going to say, if anything, dad had a good addiction to work, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, school, I... I did really good in school until about grade seven. And that's when I started to rebel. Um, and that's pretty much when I first started. Um, I tried alcohol for the first time. Right. Um, but like, yeah, in grade school, grade school was all right. Um, I made friends easily. Um, I had a little bit of ADHD. So the teachers were always saying that I don't sit still in class and I'm always moving around and I'm causing trouble, which is, you know, normal for people who have ADHD, right? We don't mm -hmm. listen and we want to do our own thing. And normally kids with ADHD are troublemakers. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Um, so did you make yeah. friends easy? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I did. I, I feel like I was in the popular crowd. I mean, um, I had some really close girlfriends and friends that I, I made growing up. Um, I always talk about uh, how I wanted, I was a kind of a tomboy growing up and most of my grade school friends were guys and it's cool because actually one of them that I grew up with is uh, in recovery also. And um, so yeah, I just, I was always wanting to be one of the guys. Um, 
dressed like a guy, you know, played hockey, played soccer. Um, so yeah, I, I was just like a tomboy growing up and then, yeah, I don't know. So how old were you the first time you got loaded? Um, I know I was with my best friend, Bridget, and we went to a party that was outside of town. It was like in a Quonset and all the other parents were drinking. Um, and we were sneaking alcohol, right? Um, you weren't I want to say oh I was in, oh my God, I know, right? So bad. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think I was in grade seven or eight. Is that when you're 12 years old? Um, I don't know. Neither do I. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my patterns were pretty bad, though. Like, once I started drinking, it was like all or nothing. Right um, away? Oh, 100%. Like, I remember the first time I got drunk, I was drinking beer and, like, Smirnoff um, iced. Is that those mm -hmm. coolers? Yeah. Oh, worst hangover ever. Like, I, I remember sleeping on my friend's couch and just being like so deathly sick and you know her mom was like well maybe you girls shouldn't have drank and stole that alcohol like she knew right away what was that what was up right mm -hmm. um i don't think my parents found out though um i kind of kept that from them so but. you ended up drinking at a dance and that went horribly sideways for you tell us about that <laughs> Oh my god mom you'll remember this she's the one that had to pick me up that night mm -hmm. so uh my first high school dance um i we were pre-drinking at a at a house party right and i get dropped off there mom dropped me off she had a white van at that time and this is my first high school dance right and i go in there with a i think i had a mickey a mickey of vodka and a two liter of orange crush and I pounded that back in 20 minutes. <laughs> mm. And we all go to the dance. And I remember as soon as I got to the doors, it was just like, boom, it hit me hard. And I was like staggering all over the hallway. And like my principal was like, are you okay? And I remember just crashing into the lockers. And then he's like, oh my God, you're no, <laughs> you're not getting in the dance. <laughs> like, like literally like, and then, I got pulled into the library and mom was called and I remember when she picked me up, I was completely out of it. I was, I was puking out the side of her van, her white van. It was like orange crush, just like projectile vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was a nurse, right? So where do we go? We go to the emergency ward and all of her staff and everybody she knows that yeah, all her friends, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing in my daughter. She's got to get her stomach pumped because I had alcohol poisoning. Like, how embarrassing is that for her? Mm -hmm. So I don't that was really like remember. for real you did? Oh, yeah, for real. Like, my wow. mom was working in emergency and I she had to bring me in there. And she said she had to scrub her van for like three days after that because it was so it was so bad. Like the orange crush and vodka. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it was bad. I had like a three-day hangover. It was horrible. Oh, yeah. So then in... In uh, in high school, you met a guy in grade ten. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> the first guy that I dated, that I fell in love with, and you know, um, so here I am in uh, high school, grade ten, and I'm very active into my sports. I was playing AAA ringette. I was in soccer. Um, I meet this guy, and I gave up everything. Because of this guy, I fell in love, or so they say. Um, I went head over heels for him, and you know, we dated for two years, and just a lot of problems came along with that, right? Um, of course, I picked the bad boy. Um, I remember my dad saying, "Like, who is this guy?" And he pulled me in his office, and he showed me two papers of like. 30 some charges of this guy and he's not even 18 yet. And he's like, this is the kind of guy you're dating. And I'm Your like, dad oh did a criminal God. record check. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right on dad. Right on. I know, right? He's yeah. probably laughing. Yeah. No. And I was like, how the hell did you get that? And he's like, <laughs> I have pull in this. I city. know people. I like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know people. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it was a constant battle of just like trying to, you know, oh, he's good now though. He didn't go to the jail in a long time. And 
Oh, I was just, I just straight bullshitted my way through that one, right? But like, I was attracted to the bad boys, right? From the get go, right? So there was something I wanted to fix about them. And um, I enjoyed that. It was just like, I don't have to look at myself. I can help you. And I always wanted to be a fixer, right? Um, yeah. So how did that relationship end? Um, so he ended up getting thrown in jail for two years because he was over 18. Um, and I pretty much said, like, I can't do this anymore. And I was, I was kind of over it because it's like, well, dad's not going to be okay with this if you're in jail and I'm dating you. So I kind of like accepted the fact that like, I needed to let this guy go. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Um, and yeah. Shortly after that, I think that was when I was 17, it was the first time I tried meth and it was with his stepbrother. His stepbrother reached out to me and said, hey, you wanna hang out one night? And I did, I was like, sure, let's hang out. And um, yeah, I just remember him pulling out a pipe out of his sock, if anywhere. And I was like, oh, what is that? It was a light bulb. Mm. And he's like, crystal meth. And I'm like, oh, I was like, I wanna try it. And then, so I tried it and then, damn i was hooked like hooked instantly and i think i was up for a week the first time i got high um that's when i was working at tim Hortons, so i had to go to work and i was just right on one i couldn't even work i was so out of it and i had people coming to tim hortons bringing me drugs and i was putting it in my coffee stirring it and drinking it while i was at work Oof. oh that could not have tasted good no, I like I didn't care. I just liked the high, right? I I wanted yeah. the high. I was hooked instantly on that shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how were you supporting yourself through all this? Um, well, I was living at home at my dad's and so it didn't take him very much time to figure out what I was doing. Um and then instantly like kind of cut me off, right? So What do you um, mean cut you off? Well, he cut me off. Like he said, you know, like you need to go, go get help. And, uh, there was no detox in PA. So I got sent to the psych ward, (laughs) right? I get to come off drugs in the psych ward. (laughs) Fun time. They just give you more pills in there and tell you you're fucked up until like you seem normal, I guess. But yeah, Oh, it was, it was horrible. Um, I spent, a lot of time in and out of treatment in and out of rehab in and out of detox psych ward it was just a constant like a cycle it's like i would get out of detox go to treatment tell my family what they wanted to hear and then i would go back out using a month after being clean so it was like I was constantly manipulating my family, telling them what they wanted to hear so that I could have a place to stay, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the second I could get a chance to, I'd be out getting high again, you know, just, whether it was a, yeah. Just want to point something out here. Um, one of our viewers made an observation and so did I. Um, Danielle, thank you for the comment. Um, Danielle said, I love hearing that dad is not going to like that. So I got rid of him and I noticed that too. So your, your, your dad must've had some pull with you early on. A hundred percent. My dad, um, me and my dad have a good relationship now, but like, you know, I lived with him. So like he was my support, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was the one that, you know, gave me a roof over my head. He gave me food and, you know, mm-hmm. gave me a job at the lumber yard when I wasn't using. And um, so it was a constant like back and forth, right? It's like Chantal's good for a month. I can stay at the house. I can work at the lumber yard. Um, he's supporting me, but then it's like a week, a month or two months. It's like, nope, she's gone again. And it's just like that cycle over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I was sick. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a program. I didn't really want to get better. I was just manipulating everyone, right? Yeah. So looking back, so your dad seemed to have some short-term pull. Is there anything that, that your family could have said or done back then? Well, we got some pet drama. <laughs> uh, yes, the cat always, or the dogs wanting to jump up and get the cat. No, Phoebe. Always. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, 
I like they showed me love. They <laughs> they wanted to always be there and help me. Um, it was me that didn't want to get better. Um, and like, I feel like I needed to grow up in order to like, want to get better. And I just, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to, I, I wanted to get high and, you know, like I said, I, I just manipulated everyone and told them what they wanted to hear until I could get my next fix again. Yeah. So did you, uh, ever go to university or anything? Yes. So I ended up before university, I uh, met my baby dad and we started dating and six months later I was pregnant with my son, Jaden, which I'm very happy. Um, I have two kids from that relationship. Um, me and Jamie were together for five years. Um, and during that relationship, um, Jamie tried to help me, right? He knew that I had a bad drug problem, but him himself, you know, he drank and partied and we partied together, but he didn't do any of the hard drugs, right? Um, and once I found out I was pregnant with Jaden, I went back and finished my grade 11 and 12 because I dropped out when I was 17 when I first started smoking meth. And I didn't finish grade 11 or 12, like half of grade 11, like I barely like, past the classes I took, right? So I had to go back when I was 25 years old in Syast, um, in Saskatoon with a baby in my belly. And that was my motivation. I was like, I don't want to bring a child into this world. And I barely have a grade 11. And, you know, I want to go into nursing. So that was my goal. I was going to become a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it took me quite a while to finish my first two years um, because I had two kids in between um, you know, the time that I first started going to school to the time that, um, I really messed up my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I went to university. Uh, I did my first year prereq to get into registered nursing. Um, and then, yeah, for two years, I, three years, I went to school, uh, to become a registered nurse. Yeah. And... So you, you ended up in, in treatment, I think you said like 17 different times. When did that start happening? And, and like, did your, did your parents send you like every single time? Like, or did you end up there on your own or, or tell us a little bit about that part of your journey? Um, so from the age that I first started doing math when I was 17 till about, well, when I went to jail when I was 34, but that's quite a far ways ahead of the story here. Mm -hmm. Um, so between 17 and I want to say about 2015, that year, I was in and out of rehab and treatment. I've, I went to 17 different treatment centers. Um, Larson House was like a second home to me. Um, I've been to the psych ward many times in PA. Um, I've been to Calder four times. I was at Slimthorpe Center uh, three times. I was at Slimthorpe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a good place, except for yeah. I got kicked out twice. <laughs> Everybody gets kicked out of there. Everybody that comes on the show and says they went to Thorpe, they all say oh. they got kicked out. Like, holy shit. I know. <laughs> yeah, it, guys, well, calm you know, down. <laughs> it, it was family weekend and I ended up going to find some drugs and I didn't, you know, I lied and I s said that I didn't use, but then I told my mom and dad I got kicked out because I got caught making out with a boy, but it was really because I got, I was using on the weekend and they believed me. So I was like, Oh sweet. Well, that's a better lie than the other one. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so did oh, did yeah, you ever get any, bad. uh, any clean time after any of your stays in treatment? Yes. Very minimal though, because when I got out, I thought I was, you know, good. Right. I didn't, I didn't join any support groups. I didn't, um, I didn't continue with the 12 steps. Um, I didn't really, I was just there to just hang out and I left. I, I wasn't really there to get help. Um, there was a couple times where I did actually put some effort into um, the treatment center I went to in Winnipeg, uh, Aurora Treatment Center. That's where I started my 12 step journey. Um, that one, I actually really wanted to get better. Um, but I still had a lot of reservations, right? I was still 
talking to people that I used with thinking like when I got out, I'm going to save the hood in Saskatoon and I'm going to help mm. everyone. And you know, like life's going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah. I have 30 days clean or 90 days clean. I can help people and I can put myself around those Danny. situations. Daniel oh. got a comment. As if 13 you get, stepping. You get out of here, Daniel. I got a button. You're out of here. There. He's gone now. Don't worry. The bad man is gone. I never 13-stepped anyone. <laughs> so oh at some God. point, at some point, you lost a boyfriend to suicide. Yes. Um, so that was in 2008. Um, so Brad was one of my um, school sweethearts. I had a crush on him and... Actually, my best friend was dating him, and but I always had a thing for him. And it's funny because I actually, when I relapsed, I met him in the scene. And he was using, and I was using, and we were at the house together. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, as if you're doing this shit. And I'm like, well, what do you mean, what are you doing? Like, you're doing the same thing. And he's like, and we both kind of hit our bottom together after using for three days. And he's like, no, you know what? Um, I'm bringing you out to my parents' house and we're going to clean up and we're going to get better. And his parents lived out of town. And at that point, my dad had found out I left and I didn't come back. So he kicked me out of the house. And Brad's like, you know what? You can stay here and we're going to get better and we're going to clean up. So, And we actually did clean up. Um, we cleaned up for about nine months. And... We kind of just like went off the grid. I didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a cell phone. We just kind of stayed out of town, right? Um, and then he ended up going back out, right? Um, he kept lying to me and saying he's going to visit this person. And then he would come home and he'd have like all this stolen shit. And like, he's like, yeah, well, I, it wasn't me, but this, these other guys were doing B&Es at the lake. And, like, he came home with a barbecue one time. I was like, where the fuck are you going to put that? Like, what are you doing? Like, seriously. And, you know, he kept lying to me saying, oh, I'm not using, I'm not using. And I'm like, oh, my God, whatever. You know, like, I don't believe you. So um, he ended up um, he ended up leaving the house one night, and he didn't come back. Um, he was actually, um, he picked up a bunch of charges and he was thrown in the drunk tank, right? And he called me from the drunk tank and he said, Chantal, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I got picked up. I breached my conditions. And I said, you know what? I said, I don't believe any of the words you're telling me right now. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I think that you should move out. And yeah, he got released that morning. He jumped in his vehicle drove down the street to where he was about to go back to work and he ended up plugging the exhaust to his like he he took a sock and he plugged his exhaust and taped up all the windows taped his feet to the gas and he carbon monoxide himself and the cops found him the music was blaring um yeah he he poisoned himself right so and I remember getting that phone call and I was at work at Econo and I get a phone call from his mom and his mom's like, Chantel, have you heard from Brad? And I was like, no, I, I haven't heard from Brad. I said, I talked to him last night. He was in jail again and he's up to no good. And she's like, well, he's dead. And I was like, what? He's dead. Yes. He killed himself last or this morning at 5 a.m. And I just remember I dropped the phone. And I ran over to my dad's office and I gave him a big hug and I was just like, dad, Brad's dead. And it was just like that moment of like guilt. I was like, what the hell did I just do? You know, like, and it was his demons. His demons got to him, you know, in the end, he, he didn't want to live. Um, he couldn't live with himself. He didn't want to get help. And, you know, I carried that shit around for a very long time thinking I was the reason why he committed suicide. But, um, you know, and his parents always said, if it wasn't with you, it would have been with any somebody else. He was always wanting to commit suicide, his parents said. So mm -hmm. it was just bad timing. Um, yeah, and after yeah. that, I, I completely went downhill. I was gone for like two years. Like, yeah. I, 
I couldn't cope. I didn't know how to manage. And yeah, I just disappeared for two years. Hmm. It was a, horrible. Gonna take a quick break. Yeah. Okay. Now that I've left Prairie Sky, I, I, I just feel free from my addiction. Treatment saved my life. Prairie Sky Recovery saved my life. So tell us a little bit about, like, how did you come back from that? Like, what happened after you found that news? Uh, like, after you committed suicide? Yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I was, I don't know, I felt like it was my fault. Um, my parents were really worried about me. My mom came and stayed with me for a few days and made sure that I didn't do anything stupid, right? Mm-hmm. And... Did you yeah, stop using it all? Too, I wasn't using at that time. Right. It wasn't, and it, it wasn't too long after that that um, I started hanging out with uh, an old guy friend of mine and started using again. And then we got into a relationship, and I moved in with him. And then I was, you know, gone for two years. Um, that was a bad one. <laughs> That was a really bad one. We had people in and out of our house. Cops were watching our house. Um, you know, there was lots of drugs in our house all the time. Um, just, you know, like, it wasn't my drug of choice, but it was a different drug I was using. I got into doing crack, cocaine, um, and that that's what he was into. And, yeah, it was I was gone for, like, two years, you know, um, the house that we were living in was right by St. Mary's. And I remember the cops sitting down the street and me being paranoid, thinking the cops are watching us, but they really were. <laughs> they were investigating this guy that was coming in and out of our house, drug dealing in PA. He was a well-known drug dealer. And yeah, they were investigating our house for like two years before they actually busted him. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Wow. Uh, yeah. So how did that relationship end? Um, I wanted to get help. Um, my parents said they would, they they would help me if I, if I moved out of that house and got out of that relationship. And, you know, like when you hit your bottom, you kind of get that glimpse of like, I need to get help. So I did, I went and got help. Um, and yeah, I think I moved back into my parents' house again and tried another round of rehab and another round of recovery. Uh Uh, yeah, so your parents, and then I, I think yeah. your parents had some swing again. You said, "Yes, I want help," and they said, "Okay, do this," and you did it. Yep, yep. And that was the cycle. Yeah. As long as I wanted to get help, they were there for me. The second that I was destroying my life, I got cut off. It's yeah. like they were not going to enable me. They were not going to um, have anything to do with my addiction or the people I was hanging out with. They didn't want to have part of that. Right. We got a question coming in here from Claudia. Thanks for the question, Claudia. Claudia asks, where were the kids over those two years? Um, okay. So I didn't have kids at that point. This was right after Brad passed away in like 2009. Um, but yeah, I did disappear on my kids. Um, I disappeared for three years um, in 2015 is when I started using hard again. And 2018 is when I went to jail. So um, my kids at that time were with my ex fiance, Jamie and his new wife, Ashley. So I kind of disappeared on them. I left them with all the bills, the responsibility. I, yeah, was, more worried about using drugs than being a mother. So what, uh, what finally did it for you? Well, like I was saying about from 2015 to 2018 was like my worst time ever. Uh, that's so me and Jamie had ended up getting, uh, we got out of our relationship and that's when I pretty much started using meth again. I ended up, uh, started hanging out with gang members. My dad kicked me out of my house. Um, he took my kids away. Uh, they went to Jamie and Ashley. I, I was going into my third year of nursing 
and I got a student loan and I ended up blowing the entire student loan and I didn't go to class. So I spent $30,000 on hotel rooms because I had nowhere to stay, gas for my vehicle because that's the only thing I had, and drugs. And within 2015 to 2018, I racked up a shit ton of charges. I was running from the cops. Um, you know, I was dating like really, really, really dangerous men. I was hanging out with like all the gangs. Um, I was running drugs for them. Uh, I was just heavily involved in like the street life in Saskatoon. Uh, not good. I ended up going to jail three times. The first time they, they picked me up on a breach charge and I got let out the next day. The second time I went in, I stayed for a week and my mom went, came and picked me up and it was around Christmas time. And I remember she drove me back to Saskatoon. And as soon as I got to Saskatoon, I jumped out of the vehicle and I just ran because I didn't want to get better. I wanted to go use, right? So um, the last time I got arrested, <laughs> oh, there is a story to that one. <laughs> um, and I, you know what? I, I'm thankful that I went to jail because there was nothing that was going to stop me. I mean, like at the end of like my, like at the end of my using, I had nowhere to go. I was living out of a backpack and like I was carrying around these bins of clothing and my items completely out of it. Like I pretty much had the drugs and the clothes on my back and that was it. And I just kept one. I just wanted to keep going, keep going. Um, I remember me and um, the guy I was with at the time, we're going to go and check ourselves into uh, detox, right? This was two days before he got picked up and we we're staying at an Airbnb and we ended up getting in a huge fight. I, I ended up picking up like, a, I think I got a quarter ounce of meth and I was being super paranoid. We were getting, and I was getting like aggressive with him and we got in a fight. Cops were called and I knew right away when the cops got there, I was gone for a long time. So I was like hiding my ID, hiding my drugs, thinking, well, if they don't know my name, I can make up a name and I'm not going to get arrested and all this shit. And then as soon as the cops showed up there, I was like, yeah, here's my ID. I know I'm going away for a long time. And he's just like, asked me my name. He's like, what's your name, ma'am? Chantel, you, yeah, you got to come with us. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're coming with just, us. And as I'm like stuffing an ounce into my bra and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, and I'm hiding these drugs in a place. So, and just in case I get out, you know, like I didn't get out. Oh so they God. didn't even have to like look up your name or anything. They just knew that you no, were going they with knew. them. Oh yeah. <laughs> they knew. Yeah. I, I was getting, when I was getting pulled over in Saskatoon, I wasn't getting pulled over by city cops. Like I was getting pulled over by the gang unit and you know, like just because of the people I associated myself with, I myself wasn't dangerous, but the people I was hanging out with were not good people. And so like, I kind of had that red flag, you know, if I get pulled over, they're searching my vehicle for guns, drugs and all that shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So how was prison? Um, it was hell the first little bit. Um, I had a really hard time accepting where I was. Um, when I went in there, I was like ballistic. I was coming down hard. And as soon as I got admitted, I told the guard, I was like, I want to kill myself. I don't want to be here. I have nothing to live for. So, you know, right away, they put me in the fucking camera cell in segregation, <laughs> which you get nothing in there. They serve you dinner with like a rubber plate you don't get utensils in case you try to stab yourself and they give you no blanket no pillow they give you a gown that looks like um an x-ray jacket and i was just like are you fucking serious so i ended up coming down hard in there i mean like i cried i kicked the door i was pushing the emergency button for only emergencies but like i was legit having an anxiety attack and i remember like i couldn't breathe because i was coming down and i was in this room I was in there for 14 days. I ended up getting um, institutional charges for pushing the emergency button too many times. <laughs> I was like pushing it. Too many emergencies. It, it. Like, yes, Chattel, stop pushing that button. I was just stop like, having emergencies. Pushing... <laughs> I was like, I am having an anxiety attack. Let me yeah. out of here. And they're like, we can't let you out. And I, so I just kept pushing the button, pushing the button and 
yeah, so I ended up staying in there for another week because of that, which is stupid, you know, but whatever. Um, it took me a while to get used to jail. Um, I remember being in there thinking, like thinking in segregation, like what the fuck did I just do to my life? You know, I, I woke up from a three year bender and it was like, wow, I haven't seen my kids. I haven't talked to my family. And when I did talk to my family, I was threatening them. Like my dad saved all the text messages and shit and showed me after. I was just like, oh my God, are you serious? That's what I was saying. Should have sent us some screenshots. We could have put it on the screen. Yeah, dad, send some. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was just like, I was at my bottom. and, And I remember thinking long and hard when I was in segregation and sitting there by myself and thinking, okay, what am I going to do? I know I'm not getting out of here. I need to change my life. And I remember the first person I called was my mentor that I met in Winnipeg when I went to the treatment center. Um, His name's Ian. And I called him and I was like, I'm in jail. I need to get out of here. How can you help me? And he's just like, no. He's like, you need to be in there. He's like, you need to stop running Chantal. Um, And the second person I called was my dad. And he was like, well, everyone's so happy you're finally in jail. Now you're going to have to put in the work and you're going to be in there for a while. And I was like, fuck. And I just, it, it took me a while to accept that, right? It took me a while to get the drugs out of my system because, like, I was coming down hard. All I wanted to do was get high. I wanted to get out. I was calling my lawyer every day. How can you get me out of here? And they weren't giving me any answers. Um, so it took me about three months to, you know, get the drugs out of my system and to stop thinking about them. I mean, there was tons of drugs in there. Like, I got tempted all the time. You know, I was in unit three, um, unit four, the gang unit, and people were bringing dope all the time. And I just made that decision not to fucking touch them anymore. I was like, no, every time I thought about it, it was like my kids, my kids, my kids. And I used my kids as my higher power because I knew like I was absent for their life for so long. It was like, I need to make this up to them. I need to keep doing this for them. If I can't do it for myself, I'm doing it for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, actually, after a while, I didn't mind being in jail. I got a job in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of shenanigans, you know? Like, I actually had a fun time while I was in there. <laughs> um, I did eight months on remand. I, I thought for sure I was going to beat my charges. I mean, like, we ended up getting pulled over. Uh, there was four ounces of meth in the vehicle, and I was stupid enough to jump into the driver's seat after the guy I was dating said jump in the driver's seat I'm like oh okay let's do that and I instantly did that well I'm the one that got marked in right I'm the driver so I got charged um I ended up getting I think sentenced a year but I already did eight months on remand so I mean by the time I got out I was just doing like I think I did like three weekends or something like that it wasn't that bad Mm -hmm. um but yeah, no, it was, and that, they all saved my life. All right, take a quick break. So tell us about your first year in recovery. Well, when I got out, um, actually when I was in jail, uh, there were some ladies that came in and they came in to do an NA meeting and I was right on that right away. Cause I was like, well, if anything's going to save me, this program's going to save me. Right. And I instantly said, I need your pamphlet. Where do I go when I get out? And the day I got out, um, I ended up going to my home group meeting the first night and it was, it was amazing, you know, like. I knew a lot of people that were in that room. Um, I knew that I needed to devote my life to the program if I wanted to get better. And I needed to do the steps and get rid of the trauma that I experienced, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, within that first year of recovery, I spent a lot of time repairing relationships. Um, 
when I got out, I stayed at my dad's house. I wasn't allowed a cell phone. I wasn't allowed on Facebook. I was not allowed to talk to my co-accused. Those were my conditions, right? Um, and for six months, I had no cell phone. I was fine with that. I mean, and then once I got a cell phone, I was just like, whatever, you know, it's, I, I don't have any of those triggers anymore. Um, the first Christmas I had, um, I had to prove myself that, you know, like jail talk, right? They wanted to see how I did actually when I got out, um, if I would still want recovery, if, or if I wanted, if I would go back to using, right? Because I'm, I'm famous for getting out and running away again. So um, I wasn't allowed to talk to my kids until I proved that I was clean for six months after. So the first Christmas that I got out, I didn't get to have Christmas with them. Um, I got to meet my son. Um which was crazy. Like I remember him sitting in the office at the counselors and me coming up and seeing him for the first time. And it was just like that feeling of like, there were so many feelings that came around because I hadn't seen him for three years. Right. I disappeared from his life. Um, and then I got to meet my daughter. Uh, I think it was three months after that. And my daughter was 18 months old when, I had left them and I came back and she was five years old. She didn't know she had another mom. Um, everybody in the family had to tell her that she has another mom. And so that's, that was hard to deal with. You know, I remember I, I got to meet her at uh, the counselor's office, which they were getting counseling during the time that I was gone. And I remember coming up the elevator and she was sitting across as the elevator doors open, she was sitting there and I, and I waved and she's like looking at me like, who is this girl? And she waved back. And then, you know, she, she just, I remember her saying like, I had no idea who you were mom. And then I had a, an appointment with her, um, Jamie, like my ex and the counselor. And she sat on Jamie and she looked at me like, who the hell are you? And that was the toughest thing ever. But you know what? The bond that me and my daughter have now is incredible. Um, both of my kids, you know, like I have this beautiful life now because of this program and because of recovery and because of my recovery community and everybody that supported me. Um, there's just been so many gifts. Like I never thought in a million years that I would be sitting here telling this story like i'm one of the lucky ones that like got out of that shit you know mm -hmm. it's crazy it's crazy to think yeah we've got a uh a question coming in here uh from kathy kathy it's good to see you kathy asks if you could identify one thing your parents did right to help you what would it be tough love <laughs> they never enabled my using I mean, the the time that I left the house there in 2015 and dad cut me off, I found other ways of supporting myself, but still like him cutting me off every time, you know, because then it helps you hit your bottom mm -hmm. a little bit. So harder, I was, if that makes sense. Um, oh, we got a comment from Shauna. Shauna says, your strength and resiliency is so heartwarming. I'm so proud of you. Hmm. Thanks, Shauna. <laughs> so when you were, um, when you came out of pre prison and your parents mm -hmm. and your family were acting the way they were and standoffish and things, and they wouldn't let you see your kids, were you, did you know that that was like, did you feel like that was a good move for them to make or were you pissed off at the time? Um, I was a little upset, but I understood where they came from. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that I had to keep, like building that trust with them because of all the shit that I did, you know, like it took a long time for me to gain their trust back. And I knew it was going to be baby steps. I kept saying baby steps, Chantal, baby steps. And I knew that if I kept moving forward, if I kept doing the right thing, if I kept staying in recovery, going to meetings, doing service work, doing volunteer work, going to work, um, you know, doing all those things that I set out on paper that I was going to do when I got out that eventually my kids were going to be in my life. So it kind of gave me that goal and that extra like oomph to like get myself 
or stay on the right track, right? Because it's like my kids, that's, that's my life right there. Like, I was just so pumped to have them back in my life again. That was my motivation. Yeah. Got another comment from Wolf Moon on YouTube. Thanks for the comments. Wolf Moon says, you are so strong and thank God for your resilience. Your babies are your biggest supporters. I bet they are so proud of you today. What have your kids have to say about all this? Um, so when we met before, like the pre-interview, they were here when we were talking mm-hmm. and Gemma was like, mom, I remember all this. And she's just like, I like it when you tell your story because now I get to see you all the time. And I'm like, oh, it's just like, it melts my heart. And, you know, like my son doesn't like talking about some of it. He just, he goes, mom, I don't, don't talk about that. So, um, but they know, they know now like where I came from and, and like that I'm here for them now and, and that I'm not going anywhere. And, and they know that and they trust that. So. Hmm. So I got another question coming in here from, uh, from Danielle. Danielle asks, what are you doing specifically in your parenting to encourage your kids to stay off drugs when they have to face that, those choices? Um, well, like I said, I am in the 12 step program. Uh, the kids come to me to conventions. They used to come to meetings with me. Uh, they hear my story. I, I make aware of people in the community. Like when we go to Tim Hortons and there's a guy standing there begging for money. I say, we don't give him money. We're going to buy him something to eat and drink because he's struggling with addiction. And I always remind them that that's where addiction can lead. And, you know, I don't do it to scare them, but I do it to tell them like, you know, this is, this is how it is now. And, and they like that. They like, well, let's buy him coffee and get him this and make sure that he has something to eat. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. That's cool. So they, they get that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the details, my son doesn't like listening to the details. He, he's very sensitive. I think it really bugs him. So, so what have you learned about your recovery? Uh, that's helped you stay clean. Like what are some of the things that you do? Um, service work. I mean, honestly, if I don't keep giving back what was freely given to me, then I become complacent and, like my old um, negative thoughts and behaviors come back. I might not be using, but like, you know, I just become not the the person I want to be. I love going to meetings. I love chairing meetings. I love helping other people in recovery. Um, I love sharing my story. I love connecting with people who are struggling. Um, Yeah. Just like, just always, you know, planting seeds and, and, you know, spreading the message about recovery and how I did it and where I came from and, and what worked for me. Cause you know, um, I always say like the biggest gift that I ever get to receive is seeing somebody that I used to use with in recovery. That is like the biggest heart warmer for me is seeing people that I used to struggle with in recovery. I just freaking love that. Mm-hmm. Got another comment coming in from Danny. Danny, thanks for all the comments tonight. Appreciate that. Danny says she's amazing. She's an amazing role model. The Valley Hill treatment speaks of her very much. Just want to point that out. The clients, kids always ask who's coming tonight. When I tell them Chantel, the kids light up. What's Valley Hill treatment? Oh my goodness. Sorry, I've been crying. It's okay. Um, it's a youth treatment center um, in Prince Albert for kids under 18 that are struggling. I never had that. I was always sent to the psych ward, like I was saying. But yeah, it's it's a treatment center for, for kids who are struggling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's six weeks. Um, we come in um, and bring in – I come in once a week and bring in the 12-step um, meeting. And I tell my story to them and, you know, I love spending time there because I spent most of my, my twenties and part of my thirties in treatment centers like that. So for me to come in there and tell my story and sit at the other side of the table 
-hmm. it's it's amazing it's the best feeling ever so tell us a little about your dog i oh we talked <laughs> where, yes. where's the pup get him in here where is he at okay okay so one year after i got out of jail i got a cat the cat's right there. do you see the cat hold on here hang on hang on out here i'll put you on full screen oh don't move okay yeah don't move <laughs> yeah that's coco uh-huh yeah where's yeah. the pup she's and bb come and a year after i got the cat i got the dog bb come here come here come here bb come come here there she is come on up there's bb <laughs> so tell She's us a little my... bit Aww. tell us a little bit about about how your pets have helped you manage your recovery well i mean i love the emotional support from them um when i'm at home and they help me get out of my head especially my dog because it's like i i'm not focusing what's going on here i'm focusing on taking care of her right so and she's she's been amazing. It was hard to train her at first, but um, ever since I got her, like honestly, like I just she's like my best friend. She sleeps in bed beside me on the pillow <laughs> like a human. It's so cute. Well, look at her. She's just so like oh. She's like yeah. She just loves me. Honestly, mm -hmm. I she's the best thing ever. Dogs are so good for people in recovery, especially for people suffering with mental health disorders. Because, like, I suffer from bipolar and depression, and sometimes I get in here and the wheel starts turning, and, and then she comes along and she just has to do this. And then I'm like, oh, I don't need to think about that shit because I got you. <laughs> yeah. We've got a, a yeah, great big German no. Shepherd cross somewhere here. You might see his tail bop by once in a while, but, yeah, we're definitely dog people over here, too. For sure. They're so good oh. for recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> I guess that's that's all I got for you. Um, is there is there anything that you'd like to leave us with tonight? Um, I know that I'm truly grateful for this life that I'm living now. And I mean, if anybody is ever struggling, there's so much out there. There's so many places for people to go to get help. Um, and like... I feel like ever since I got into recovery, um, there is, you know, there's a lot out there. Um, I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> you want to give like, any shout outs? Yes, I do. I definitely do. Okay. Um, I had to write them down because there's so many. Um, so I want to thank my family, of course, uh, my family at Econo Lumber, my recovery community, um, which is my program, people. I love you guys so much. You guys guided me and put up with my shit for so long. <laughs> and, and continue I, to do so. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, yes. I, I honestly was one of their hardest clients. Um, that's what they told me when I went to... Um, winnipeg rehab they're like mm. you were one of our toughest clients um my mentor heather um ian rab from winnipeg he started my my 12-step journey elizabeth um my counselor that i've seen for many years um she's been a huge support my children and my dog of course and my new best friend in recovery <laughs> yeah awesome so, Yes. Okay. And of course, I'm grateful for you too for letting me have this chance to be on here. Like, this is amazing. Thank you for, for being a part of this and, and adding your story yes. to the archive of, for the community to access and, you know, bring healing. Appreciate that very much. And okay. um, I guess that's it. We'll let you go. Okay. Take care, my friend. Oh my God. Yes, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did it. Good night. <laughs> okay, good night. See you. There's power in numbers. If you would like to contribute to ending the stigma around emotional pain, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitch, Facebook, and Instagram. Like and comment your thoughts on our posts. 
Let us come together with our lived and living experience as a resource that has the power to engage new thought processes, to promote new ideas, to broaden the spectrum of care, and to show the world that the lie is dead. We can recover. There is a safer way. And we're here to show you how. Good night.